0: Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. I got the phone call that every school leader dreads. One of my students had died. It was a Wednesday night in September of 1998, and one of my ninth-grader students A 14-year-old boy was at a park near his home after school. We will call him Caleb. He and his 13-year-old friend were playing with a gun, and Caleb's friend was not a student at my school. Caleb's best friend was holding the gun, and that gun went off, and Caleb was killed instantly. And nothing could have prepared me for what happened over the next few hours, the next few days, the next few months after Caleb was killed. In fact, the next morning, all three local TV news stations had their vans sitting in our parking lot, and both major newspapers had reporters there as well. Our high school students and our teachers looked like zombies as they walked through the front doors the next morning. That awful phone call happened about 25 years ago, and as I look back, I can see that we did a really good job taking care of our students and staff, and that we handled things pretty well, but that was not because we were ready. We did not have a crisis management team, and we did not have a plan, but what we did have were a lot of really smart people that cared a lot about those kids, and they jumped into action, and I believe that we got a lot of help from God. And one of the teachers at my current school has a saying, we were lucky, not good. And when Caleb died that day, we handled things pretty well, but we were lucky, not good. I hope that you never have to deal with the death of a student or a staff member, but I want to help you be super prepared. I want to help you have a plan and then pray that you never, ever need to use that plan. And I wanna make a disclaimer here, a very clear disclaimer. I am not a crisis management expert. I am not a crisis management professional. I'm a private school leader that experienced something awful, but I'm going to help you be better prepared for the death Of a student or staff member by taking my personal experiment experience and combining it with the following resources that i've curated for you and so in the show notes you will find resources from the following organizations national center for school crisis and bereavement national association of school counselors u.s department of education coalition to support grieving students Association of School Curriculum and Development, educationworld.com, and also my personal experience. And all resources will be linked in the show notes that are available to you at the slash episode 22. As hard as this is, the National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement says that school can be the best setting to provide services to students and staff after a loss that affects the school community and they give five reasons why school can be the best place after a tragedy like this number one schools provide a familiar environment number two large numbers of students can be served in the same place Number three, many children will benefit from supportive services that can be readily provided in a school setting. Number four, students coping after the loss can be monitored over a period of time and referrals for clinical services can be facilitated as needed. And number five, parents may be more willing to accept services provided in school settings where the stigma associated with mental health services may be decreased. End quote. That, again, is from the National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement, the five reasons why school can be the best setting for students after the death of a student or staff member. So, one last thing. Um, I've been talking a little bit about Caleb, and we're talking, the title of this episode is When a Student Dies, but most or all of this applies to to you and your school if a staff member were to pass away as well. So we're going to get started with these 10 steps to responding to the death of a student. Number one, establish a school crisis team. Number two, create a plan in advance. Number three, gather the facts. Number four, notify staff, students, and parents. Number five, deploy mental health professionals. Number six, equip your teachers. Number seven, prepare for media coverage. Number eight, funerals, spontaneous memorials and memorials. Number nine, special circumstances, such as suicide or drug overdose. And number 10, conduct an after-action review. So again, before we get into the first step, I want to remind you and just ask you to... I want to acknowledge that 10 steps is a lot. I want to acknowledge that this is heavy content that we're considering today. That this could be triggering for you as a school leader to think about one of your students or staff members dying. It also could be triggering because you've experienced this at some point in the past. And it also could just bring up feelings from a loved one that has passed away or fear regarding your own children. So I just want to acknowledge that these this episode could bring up some big feelings, but I also feel like this is a very important topic to cover and to be prepared so that we can take good care of our students and our staff should A tragedy like this strike your school. So I just want you to listen, just settle in, and I'll take good care of you in the show notes. And again, those are available to you at slash episode 22. So, number one, establish a school crisis team. During the COVID 19 pandemic, you probably established a health and safety task force. I know that during the summer of 2020, uh, I served on that task force and that we had many task forces that summer, but health and safety certainly was one to try to figure out how do we reopen, how do we do school safely during a pandemic. But why do you need a crisis management team? Why do you need a crisis team? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, when we are under stress, we do do not always make good decisions. And that's not just my opinion. That's something that is supported by research. You know all about fight or flight. You learned about that in freshman psych 101. And the brain is flooded with cortisol. And when your brain is flooded with cortisol, you are cognitively impaired. And so it is a fact that when we are under stress, that we do not make As informed, we do not make as wise decisions as we do when we're not under stress. And so a crisis management team can put your heads together during a crisis and kind of talk through the issues and things of that nature. But I think that actually the most important part of a crisis team is that you get together you talk about things in advance, and you come up with plans that can be implemented when a tragedy happens or when a weather emergency happens, things of that nature. So then the question becomes, well, who should be on a crisis team? You might say, I come from a small school, I run a small school, we don't have a lot of people, we don't have a big staff. Well, certainly the head of school, um, if you have a school-based counselor, Um, And some of you are saying, yeah, I wish. Um, I'm in my 31st year as a school administrator, and it's only been the last three years that our school has had a school-based counselor. So I understand um, how that in some schools is a a blessing and a luxury. Um, But if you have a school-based counselor, um, a school nurse, um, a school security officer, um, two or three veteran teachers... And then in a consulting role, um, and maybe not at the regular meetings, would be at least one mental health professional and at least one person with experience with either law enforcement or crisis management um, professional or possibly even a military veteran. So again, I, I listed a lot of people, but it could be that it's the head of school and two veteran teachers and one parent or two parents that... Uh, play a role as uh, a consultant. So you could start small, maybe even three people. And then the last question would be, well, how often should they meet? Um, I would say once a month. And um, the last thing that you need, I know on your schedule is more meetings, but this is the most important meeting probably that would be on your schedule each month would be the crisis team meeting. And when you meet you're going to do what comes next which is number two you're going to do all kinds of things but one of the things would be number two create a plan for death of a student or staff member number two create a plan for death of a student or staff member so your crisis management team again i'm recommending that you meet once a month and they will eventually you will eventually create all kinds of plans an active shooter plan weather emergency plan um, if there's an actual fire at your school things of that nature so you're going to create a specific plan for the death of a student or staff member so then you say well where do we even begin how would we even start well i think a good start would be to use the 10 steps that you're hearing in this episode those will be laid out for you in the show notes and then again In the show notes will be a ton of resources from all of the organizations that I mentioned earlier, and they lay out all the parts of a plan. And you could start with these steps. You could use their steps and then flesh it out, flesh out your plan with a lot of the things that are in those resources that would take too long to cover in this episode. And then revise and edit the plan and share it with a mental health professional perhaps a pediatrician, um, perhaps someone in law enforcement or a military veteran or a crisis management expert. And again, I know with smaller schools that that might be difficult to find someone with that kind of background, but it doesn't have to be a school parent. It could be someone in the community that you reach out to and you ask them for their help. And most often people will be willing to provide that kind of help. So we come to number three, Number three is gather the facts. So back in September of 1998, when Caleb Caleb died, I got a phone call from a close family friend of Caleb's that told me about what had happened. Well, today, it's much different. Today, it is much more likely that you're going to hear about it from a parent who heard about it from their child on social media or in the class group chat, the text group for for the class it is very likely that other people are going to know before you. And rumors and disinformation will spread quickly. And your job is to make sure that your entire school community hears accurate information at the same time and as soon as possible. I'll say that again. Your responsibility is to make sure that the Entire school community hears accurate information at the same time and as soon as possible. Now, there will be a desire to get the word out as quickly as possible and especially with social media and especially with rumors swirling and misinformation swirling, you're going to wanna get that out as fast as you can. But I want you to have a little mindset shift on that. Gather all of the accurate information, verify those facts before you communicate anything and let me try to impress that on you by telling you to think about this. Okay, so sometimes we send out an email and then we get a email back from a parent and is like, oh, well, I thought the spring musical opening night was on a Tuesday night and the email says Wednesday night. Or we send out an email about graduation and we have the, the time wrong or something like that and we get an email and we're like, oh man, that's super annoying. And so then what do we do? we send out an email 10 minutes later. It says, sorry, um, here's the correct information. Okay. Well, the stakes are pretty low when it comes to that. Um, And while that's annoying, it's okay. The, you know, the getting the time wrong for graduation in an email to the parents really isn't that big of a deal, but the stakes are very high to get this right when it comes to this situation. So, confirm the facts from a family member or law enforcement, and find out what information can be disclosed. So again, confirm the facts from a family member or law enforcement, and then find out what information can be disclosed. Call an emergency meeting of the crisis team, probably on Zoom, and discuss how to notify parents. And again, the more that's in the plan, The less decisions need to be made in the moment. The less scrambling to try to get everybody on a Zoom call or on a conference call. And so, again, under all that stress, if you have a plan, you just work the plan. Let's go on to number four. Notify staff, students, and parents. And we're going to do it in that order whenever possible. Notify staff, students, and parents. And I want to say something, I have it here in my notes in all caps and in bold, and I'm going to say it more than once during this episode, and that is never underestimate the impact of death on students and staff. Never underestimate the impact of death on students and staff. As I said before, the death of a student, death of a staff member can bring up all kinds of feelings, but everyone reacts to death and grief differently. So we need to make sure that we're keeping everyone safe, and we need to start by making sure we notify people in a way that is um, accurate but also is respectful and is going to help them process the information. So once you've confirmed the facts, we need to communicate it, and so how are we going to do that? All right. So some of it depends on when we find out the news, if it's during the evening or on a weekend, if it's during the school day. Later on in this episode, I'll talk about what do we do if we find out over winter break or summer break or spring break. But let's just say for the sake of conversation that we're going to let our staff know and we found out during the evening like I did the day that Caleb died. So we're going to text or call every staff member. So at your school, um, you probably have at least a phone tree and more likely you have an emergency text and email system. And if you don't, I would recommend that you invest in whatever that automated text service uh, entails. There are a lot of different ones out there. And it's not just for something like this, but other kinds of emergencies. If there's inclement weather, if there's a water main break at the school, in Today's day and age, you need to be able to get a hold of everybody that works at your school uh, immediately. And so um, it is not that expensive. And I would recommend that investment. So let's say that you've reached out to them by text and followed up with an email and you've just given them the facts and, um, here's what you're going to, here's what we how we're going to do this. We're going to communicate some of these same things that I'm about to tell you that we're going to do in a meeting first thing in the morning, but we're going to do it in the email or, um, in the text. And the text could be saying, check your email so that you don't have to put this long text into, um, their phones. But anyways, start, start the day again. Let's say it happened in the evening, afternoon or evening, start the day with an all staff meeting and just say exactly what you know. Give them help with how to address this with their students. Um, If a teacher is feeling like they can't face their students or can't talk to them about it, a member of the crisis management team will do it. Um, You're also going to give them a script um, and so that they, not necessarily to read it, but just to kind of guide them so that they're not getting off into a lot of speculation, or um, it just helps. Again, they're under stress, the students are emotional, and so you give them some talking points um, to help them with that. And then in this meeting, you're going to give the teachers time to ask questions, to process the news emotionally, to discuss the logistics, Um, and of course, you're going to have mental health professionals on hand and also give teachers links to resources that can help them not only navigate how to handle this with the children, but also navigate their own emotions. And I'll get into how we're going to deploy mental health professionals in the next step of this plan. So if your crisis management team has these resources sitting in a Google Doc in advance, you won't be scrambling. So let me explain what I mean. So I just said a few things about links to resources to help Adults, now, teachers, specifically teachers, navigate how they're feeling about um, this loss, this, this tragedy, um, how to help students. Well, the last thing you want to do is be scrambling and trying to find those links. Just have all of that sitting in a Google Doc, and that's part of what your crisis management team does is that you have things that are ready that you hope that you never need to use. It's like ins- fire insurance for your house or life insurance, that you have it, it's there. It provides a sense of comfort, but then you hope that you never need to do it. And then one last thing on this regarding your staff. Let's say that you find out during the day, maybe there's a student that's not at school and you just assume they're ill or absent, or maybe it's a student that's been fighting a long illness um, and you get the call during the school day that the student has passed. Um, You and the other members of your crisis management team will go to each classroom and you'll talk to the teacher right out in the hallway, just outside the door, and you'll have a copy of a typed um, memo that you'll hand to the teacher, um, and it will also include how to talk to the students. There will be different age groups. Most of our schools, some of many of our schools, are just high schools, but many of our private schools are either pre-K through eight or pre-K through twelve. And so um, there's a lot of different ways to handle this appropriately at different age levels, and it will include resources for teachers. So again, if that news happens during the day. Now, you've noticed that I did not say anything about making an announcement over the PA system. That's one of the big no-nos. That's one of the big things that you do not do. Um, and we'll get into that in a moment when we talk about the students. So let's move on to the students. How are we going to let them know about this student that has passed away? We're going to notify students face-to-face in small groups by familiar adults, and I'll say that again. We're going to notify students face-to-face in small groups by familiar adults. Have your teachers monitor the emotional reaction of the students. Give teachers that script or those talking points. Some won't won't need it, but many will need it. Be sure to let students know. Uh, the teachers need to be sure to let students know what mental health resources are available and how to access those resources. And what are the logistics of that? Can a student just raise their hand in any class and say, I need to go to talk to a counselor? Um and then do you buzz the office to let that, them know that they're coming? Yes, you don't want students that are emotionally fragile that have asked to speak to a counselor wandering around the school. So there are some logistics that are involved with this, but make sure the students have easy access, that there's no stigma attached to it, that there is not a lot of friction for them to be able to talk to a counselor. Um, you want to monitor even more closely the close friends or teammates of this departed student the friends of the siblings of that student. So let's say that if it's a ninth grade student that passes away, that maybe they have a sibling in fifth grade, a sister in fifth grade, let's say. And so the friends of that sibling. Kids are very empathic, as you know, and so could be a a strong emotional reaction, even if they don't know that child well. But they also might know them well from hanging out over at their um, the friend's house that's the sibling of the student who passed away. Um, So we're monitoring these students, again, for a significant reaction. And as I said before, with students, we do not make this announcement on the PA system. We do not have an all-school assembly or even a division assembly where we announce this. We're doing it face-to-face in small groups by familiar adults. And then the last thing is don't forget about students that are absent. Students might be out on a field trip if the news is learned during the day. Um, You'll hit up all the staff on the emergency text and your email, but be sure not to miss any students. And then finally on notification, let's talk for a moment about the parents. So while the students are being told, you should have an email for parents that's sitting in drafts ready to go. Um, And all the students are hearing about it at the same time. And then you're hitting send on that email to the parents. So you notify parents about the death. You tell what you're allowed to say. Just, again, brief brief information, but accurate information. Tell parents what resources are available at school for their children. Tell parents how they can get answers to their questions. And then in your email, include links to resources for parents about how to talk to their children about grief and death. And again... If you have a plan and you have those resources sitting in a Google Doc in advance all of this will be much easier to pull together in fact in the show notes I've included a link to a resource that I found and it has templates for staff student and parent notifications about the death of a student or staff member so um, you can just use those as well and then finally If the death occurs during the summer or during winter break or spring break, most school crisis organizations recommend that you open your school for at least one or two days immediately following the death of a student and have mental health professionals on site for all the reasons that I mentioned before about school being familiar and all the benefits um, if school is closed you need to strongly consider opening school if at all possible for a day or two. Have mental health professionals on site and sometimes your students just want to grieve together and just have a space where they can be with each other. So the 10 steps to responding to the death of a student. Number one, establish a school crisis team. Number two, create a plan in advance. Number three, gather all the facts. Number four, notify staff, students, and parents. And number five, deploy mental health professionals. So when Caleb passed away, we did not do a great job with this. I was scrambling late into the night to get some qualified counselors and pastors at the school the next morning. This was not something that we had arranged in advance. And so part of the crisis management team responsibilities will be to secure the help of mental health professionals in advance and to create and form strong partnerships with mental health providers in your town. Create a good list of several providers that have agreed to help in a time of crisis and you have their contact information handy and then you just pray that you don't need them. Um, And then you need to think through some of the logistics. So physically at your school, where will they do their work? Where will they have places to meet with students? Um, If they're a mental health professional, typically clearances to be able to work with a student with a child alone is already a given, um, but you also don't want to take that for granted. So there are just some things that you need to think about in advance, but it is very important to not be scrambling to try to literally Google people in your town. And um, let's face it, schools, kids have stuff. Adults have stuff. Families have therapists. Families need mental health professionals. And so it would be a rare school that doesn't already have good working relationships with several mental health professionals. The bottom line though is is that you need to be proactive about talking to them and saying god forbid that something should happen at the school but would you be willing would your organization be willing to help us out and the answer will almost always be yes and there might be some things you haven't, haven't thought of that they would speak to you about but again all of those conversations can happen in advance and then you can get them at your school to be there um, that that next morning or later that day if you find out during the day Okay. Number six, equip your teachers. Your teachers are going to be simultaneously processing their own emotions while helping their students process this trauma, this news that they just learned or that they learned on social media the night before or on their way to school that morning. And I usually don't quote long sections of text on the podcast. But what I'm about to say was so good and so helpful that I'm just going to read it. And it comes from the National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement, and that's out of Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. And it talks about what teachers can do to help the children at school in this kind of crisis. And so your role as a school leader is to give your teachers all of the mental health support that they need to do the following five things for their students quote number one listen to what students listen listen to what students want to share with you it may be difficult but just listening can be a powerful healing force number two protect protect students from becoming re-traumatized sometimes other students may ridicule or bully students who are highly emotional or cry number three connect Connect with students who have suffered a loss by asking how they are doing, checking in with them on a regular basis, letting them know that you're available to listen, or giving them positive feedback about their attendance or classwork. Number four, model. Model adult behavior that shows them how responsible adults react to loss and respond to a crisis. Adults may grieve, but they continue to act with consideration and maintain calm routines at school. And number five, teach. Crisis counselors can teach students about the common signs and symptoms of grief and or trauma so that students can assess and understand their own behavior and learn new ways of coping, end quote. And remember, that resource, all of that again is in the show notes. But remember that your role as a school leader is to give your teachers all the mental health support that they need to do those things for their students, those five things, to listen, to protect, connect, model, and teach. And one of the things that I said um, that we need to protect students from becoming re-traumatized in researching this episode, that phrase came up again and again and again. And whether it was in the way that the news is delivered, in the way that teachers um, talk with students, in the way that spontaneous memorials are handled, um, in in just a variety of ways, that that phrase that we need to protect our students and staff from becoming re-traumatized came up again and again. So I just wanted to emphasize that. All right, we're on to number seven, prepare for media coverage. So at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that the morning after Caleb died, that in our parking lot, we had news vans from all three local TV stations and reporters from the two big newspapers in town. And part of the reason that they were there was because this was um, an accidental death. It was at a public park. It involved a student in our school. It involved the student who had the gun was not a student at our school. Um, It was a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old. Certainly, there were questions surrounding where did the gun come from? Was it intentional? Was it an accident? All of this, the next morning, still all these questions are lingering, and so this is a news story in in the city, and so that's why everybody was there. And looking back, I would say that we handled it pretty well. I would definitely change a few things on the way that we handled it. But honestly, we, I, I will speak for myself. I really didn't know what I was doing. I just tried to use wisdom in the moment. But now I know more um, and have done some research. And so let's just keep it simple and break it down into three C's of crisis media coverage on your campus. Containment, communication, cooperation. So the three C's are containment, communication, cooperation. So let's start with containment. So your number one priority, again, after the death of a student is to avoid re-traumatizing your students and staff. And so let me give you an example. On the morning when those news trucks were there, the reporters were going over to my student parking lot and trying to interview my high school students on their way into the school. Um, They were set up in the parking lot. Um, They were trying to interview kids as they got off the bus. So that's re-traumatizing kids before they've even, A, might not even know what happened yet because they haven't been in the school yet. And B, um, even if they do know, we haven't had a chance to talk to them yet or give them a chance to talk to a mental health professional. So you need to provide, provide containment to the local media so that they cannot access your students or staff on campus. And so whenever you see a local news report or even national news report, and they're covering a school-related story, most of the time you'll see the school in the background, but if you look closely, you'll notice that in many cases that they are across the street from the school, and that's because they're not on school property. And so you need to provide containment to media access, and that means having them set up just off school property. That keeps them from trying to grab your high school students when they're coming in from the student parking lot or your staff as they're coming in from the staff parking lot or just trying to interview parents. The thing is, is if they're if they're flagging down a car just off school property, well, now it's an adult that they're asking and that adult can decline or, or agree to answer their questions, but you're not allowing this to happen on school property. And so... Again, that's something that I would do different, differently is um, the containment. And that's something that you may have to do yourself or if you have a security officer um, is to kindly and respectfully ask the uh, remind the, the news media that your school is private property and just show them where they can set up perhaps just off school property. The second C is communication. Your school should always, always, always designate one person that will speak with the media after a crisis. And one thing I left out and forgot to mention when I was saying about the meeting that you have with your teachers and the email that you have with your teachers is one thing that you need to include in that is is that, let's just say it's you as the head of school, that you are the person who will speak to the media and that they need to refer all quotes to or all questions to the head of school. So if they do get a phone call, just because they didn't catch them coming out of the staff parking lot doesn't mean that local media can't access your teachers um, or they shouldn't be posting about it on or speculating about it on social media and just all those kinds of things um, to just have one person be the communication person for your school. And it's usually the head of school or if you have a communications director or a PR director. So I've already said that your, the cameras or the, the media with their, um, be it the um, cameras or um, um, just people with their little notebooks, they're standing just off campus. And so you go to the cameras. Um, And going back to my experience, again, something that I regret was I spoke to the media in our school lobby. Um, I regret that because it caused some commotion. There were students during a class change and they were all interested about the cameras and the lights and um, some that knew what was going on. It kind of, you know, that was not a great situation. So it would have been better for me to go to them and then have a prepared statement and or at least prepared talking notes. And so here's my suggestion. You know, you can again consult all the resources on this. Consult your PR uh, professionals that um, either work for you or that you can um, that you can speak with that are in the community. But here's my take on what you should say. Um, focus on the tragedy, um, how terrible it was, it is, how tragic it is that our hearts are with and prayers are with the family at this difficult time. Um, The second thing you say is something along the lines of our priority here on campus is to provide all the support that our students and staff need. Um, We have mental health professionals on campus to assist, and they will be here for as long as they're needed. You definitely do not want to speculate um, about anything to do with the the death of the student. Um, You may be asked questions about what kind of student this child was. And I think that's an appropriate question to answer, but always keep that brief, positive and accurate. So let's say the student was artistic and a great athlete and loved building robots. Um, So if your school is large and you don't know the student well, then ask the child's teachers. And that's it. Number one, it's a tragedy and our hearts go out to the family. Number two, we're supporting our students and staff. And if they ask this student was a talented artist, a great athlete, loved building robots. And just keep repeating that until they stop asking questions. Um, the reporters will figure out pretty quickly that you are they're not going to get more than that out of you. And then they're probably going to stop asking questions. And so that can be your script. It shows empathy. It shows support to the family. It shows that you're supporting your students and staff. It is acknowledging um, some of the really awesome things about this student that passed away um, but you're not getting into any other areas that you don't want to travel when it comes to speculation or answering questions and getting into a back and forth with a reporter and all that kind of stuff so again just communication just stick to that and then finally cooperation you may see the media as a nuisance that morning or that afternoon or whenever they show up and I get that. I certainly felt like that was a nuisance when I saw that in our parking lot when we're trying to deal with our kids. But they have a job to do as well. And you need to provide them with the information that they need to do their story. But you don't have to give them you don't have to tell them everything that, you know, um, it's like I said, if you stick to those talking points that I mentioned, um, you should be just fine. Now, here's the other problem is the flip side of that coin is refusing to talk to the media at all or saying no comment to everything typically just makes things worse and can make the reporters more persistent and more likely to try to figure out a way to get a quote from a student or a teacher. And so um, cooperation is key. So the three C's are containment, communication, and cooperation. All right. So we're doing the 10 steps to responding to the death of a student. Number one, establish a school crisis team. Number two, create a plan in advance. Number three, gather facts. Number four, notify staff, students, and parents. Number five, deploy mental health professionals. Number six, equip your teachers. Number seven, prepare for media coverage. And number eight, funerals, spontaneous memorials, and memorials. This can be one of the most complicated parts of the death of a student or staff member. Sometimes people may wonder why it takes so long to create permanent memorials. So for instance, at the World Trade Center, or especially at the flight of United Flight 93 in Shanksville, PA, or creating memorials at schools where shootings occurred. Sometimes those take years. Well, it's because the memorial to the student or students that passed away can be very emotionally charged, and there are a lot of stakeholders. The, the parents of the victims, the, the students in the school, the administration, even the local community gets involved. And so just before I get started on this section, I wanted to let you know that I've linked a specific resource for you in the show notes from grievingstudents.org that will help you with this. And it's specifically about memorials and spontaneous memorials. And you can grab those show notes at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 22. So first of all, the funeral. So check with the family first and see if it's okay with them if, the, if students and staff attend. Um, again, some families want it to be very private. Um, do not make attendance at the funeral mandatory. When Caleb died, his classmates wanted to attend the funeral Um, We had 53 students in ninth grade that year, and three chose not to attend. Um, We provided a bus, and they went to the funeral. Make it easy for students to attend, so don't mark them absent or tardy or things of that nature, and try to get creative to allow for staff to attend. But I strongly recommend, I ask you to strongly consider not closing school on the day, of the funeral. Again, school provides that, that familiar routine for students. It's a place where they can get the help that they need. And so I know that a lot of staff members may want to attend. And again, that's a tough call. But um, many of the mental health organizations that I was um, reading their resources um, in doing research for this episode, they strongly recommend trying not to close school on the day of the funeral. So then let's go on to spontaneous memorials. So memorials will start to spring up within hours or perhaps even minutes after the news is shared. And so, again, your crisis management team can plan in advance. How long does it stay up? What will be done with the cards and the notes and the flowers and the stuffed animals after that designated time concludes? Um, Many experts say that five to seven days should be the maximum amount of time that a spontaneous memorial stays on display. You also need to decide, is this memorial going to be a, in a public space that all of your students pass by and have to walk past? So, for example, if it's on the student's locker and on the floor next to the student's locker, then that's a space that everyone has to pass by. So it could be that it's in another part of the school where if people want to go there, they can choose to go there. Um, Usually, the student's funeral occurs within that five to seven day time window, and many schools opt to have the spontaneous memorial removed after the funeral takes place. Um, Commemorative activities and memorialization efforts should not be a focus of the crisis response in the immediate aftermath of a death. And here's the thing, the students are going to want to make that the focus. Immediately, there will be talk online, um, in social media, there'll be, a, um, there'll be a social media page that will be created that will be where people can leave um, memories of that student and things of that nature. And so there will be a lot of competing uh, conversations or efforts or opinions about how to memorialize and to honor that student, but in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy, that should not be a focus of your school, because if done too soon, if there, other than a spontaneous memorial, if there's an actual memorial event uh, held at the school, there may be the perception that the school is trying to quote-unquote close the book, or close the chapter, or move on, bring closure, um, on the grief to the situation. And so the immediate focus should be on supporting the mental health of all teachers and students. And one other thing about the social media uh, pages and things that will be created, you don't have to police that, but it is good to have someone, even a parent or a staff member, that monitors that just in case there are problematic things that appear there, uh, be they problematic things about people saying about that student uh, or students expressing really, really big feelings that may need further support. So you don't have to police it, but you should at least be aware of of what's going on on social media regarding the death of the student and the spontaneous memorials that will pop up. Now, the last thing is about permanent memorials or legacy memorials. The Coalition to Support Grieving Students says that memorials should be thoughtful, respectful of the diversity of views and needs, include students in the development process, and applied fairly and consistently across a wide range of contexts. So the most important thing is ask the kids. Often what we think is a good idea as adults is not what the kids want. And I saw a quote that said a commemorative memorial or event planned by adults for children will generally be more helpful to the adults than the children. So there'll be a lot of competing efforts at one school. uh, The student council president talked to the kids and then the kids voted. And what they did was on a Saturday morning, they all met up at the school outside and there was a moment of silence at the school. And then there was a day of service in honor of the student that had passed. If it's a younger child, there will be a need for more teacher involvement and in one uh, situation a teacher had a child had each child in the grade write their favorite memory of the deceased classmate and draw a picture the teacher laminated the pages and put it into a book and gave it to the family and it was very very meaningful to the family now the coalition to support grieving children generally discourages permanent or quote-unquote legacy memorials for students for a variety of reasons and those would include naming a room or a building after the deceased or planting a tree or hanging a plaque in the school's lobby. Now we named a room after Caleb. And so I can't sit here and say that, you know, we followed that advice. I didn't have that advice 25 years ago, but I would just encourage you rather than get into all that here, you can check out uh, in the show notes. There's a video uh, from the coalition to support grieving children that talks specifically about legacy memorials and why they discourage it. And suffice to say that just permanent memorials are very complicated and should be carefully discussed with all stakeholders, especially students, before any decisions are made. So I just want, I just have two more things on the list. Number nine, special circumstances. So by special circumstances, I mean student death by suicide. Also, parents may not want the cause of death to be widely known, especially if it was a drug overdose or the student was driving while intoxicated. When a student dies by suicide, it's extremely important to acknowledge the student's death without romanticizing or glamorizing suicide because of the effect that that can have on other students. And so while the support of the mental health of staff and students is extremely important when a student or staff member dies, that it is even more important in all capital letters when a student dies by suicide, much more so than when the death is from an accident or an illness. All student deaths are tragic, but death by suicide is more troubling because of the potential short-term and long-term impact on students and teachers. And so while this is terrifying, it is also a tremendous educational opportunity for your school and an opportunity to keep everybody safe at your school. And so that said, you just need to lean heavily on the mental health professionals, especially when it is death by suicide. And again, there are several resources in the show notes for you about how to best help your school community when a student dies by suicide. And then finally, number 10, after every mission, Navy SEALs have what they call an after action review or AAR and rank goes out the window. Anyone can say anything and they answer three questions. What went well, what went wrong and what do we need to do to make the next time better? And while there's a temptation to move on after the funeral and after the dust settles and after all the trauma of this death, Don't move on before you have an after action review that is honest and raw and authentic so that, God forbid, if this ever happens again, but you can learn from the way that your school handled this tragedy. So I know that this was a much longer episode than usual, but let's wrap it up by talking about our big takeaways Having a student at your school pass away is a living nightmare. Number two, the only thing that can possibly make it worse is to not be prepared and to mishandle the communication piece or the mental health piece or the media piece or the memorial piece or all of the above. Because it's terrible, it's awful, but it can be worse if it's mishandled because of poor planning or poor execution of the plan. You need to create a plan and then pray you'll never need to use the plan. The 10 steps to responding to the death of a student. Number one, establish a school crisis team. Number two, create a plan in advance. Number three, gather the facts. Number four, notify staff, students, and parents. Number five, deploy mental health professionals. Number six, equip your teachers. Number seven, prepare for media coverage. Number eight, funerals, spontaneous memorials, and memorials. Number nine, special circumstances such as suicide or drug overdose. And number 10, conduct an after action review. And the biggest thing to remember is to never underestimate the impact of death on students and staff. And I always like to give a call to action. I have two. Number one is to read the show notes at the episode 22. Tons of resources from several excellent organizations that I mentioned earlier. And then the second call to action is, is that if you don't have one, is to create a crisis management team at your school and have your first meeting in the next 30 days. So I hope you got value from this episode. This podcast exists exists to help you thrive and not just survive as you serve and lead the students and teachers at your school. And my goal is to take what I've learned over my career and to help you learn from the mistakes that I made. And I've created a free resource for you called the top six ways to protect your school from a lawsuit. This is an eight page PDF that will help you keep your staff and students safe and help keep your school out of court. Litigation is expensive, time consuming and stressful. And this common sense guide will help you to be more intentional and proactive when it comes to protecting your school. And you can get the top six ways to protect your school from a lawsuit at theprivateschoolyear.com slash lawsuit. And this is a free gift for you for listening to the podcast. So be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. A new episode comes out every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. If you got value from this episode, please share it with other leaders or aspiring leaders at your school. I've been your host, Mark Minkus, and I just want to say how much I appreciate the hard work that you're doing and all the things that you do to care for the children and the staff at your school. Thank you so much for taking some of your precious time to join me here today, and I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, Always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.